Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric, and I'd love to meet you if I don't know you out in the courtyard. Uh, we'd love to give you a gift, help you connect to our church in any way we can. Um, just keeping you up to date, we still have uh, the ability to register for our trip to Israel in January of 2024. Uh, we're in the process of locking down flights right now, so we'll be able to uh, give you a fuller estimate of what that'll look like, but you can check that out online. We'd encourage you to, to come with us and see where Jesus walked and taught and uh, have the Bible kind of come, uh, come to life or maybe in a 3D kind of way. And so we would love for you to do that and pray about that. Um, and we're excited. We're back in Matthew. So uh, we took a good little break there uh, through Christmas and January. So we're back in the Gospel of Matthew. You can turn to chapter 6 if you want. And just kind of a reminder, uh, book of Matthew is written for a specific reason, specific purpose, and it's important we see uh, the, the whole story of, of what Jesus is communicating in the book of Matthew. And so we'll just quick little reminder, recap, is Matthew starts off very strong, proving Jesus is the king and Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the king that Israel needs, and Jesus is the king that the world needs, and so uh, he is the one of the Old Testament that is promised to be uh, for the Jews, but also for us. So when you look through, it starts off with that genealogy. He is of David, right? He is of Moses. He is of Abraham. It walks through that. And then as it's walking through establishing Jesus, this is who he is. It now says, okay, so he is a king and he has a kingdom. You're in the kingdom if you're a Christian. If Jesus is the payment for your sins, you're a part of his kingdom. This is how someone in the kingdom acts. This is their behaviors, their attitudes. Earth is where you're visiting. Heaven is your home. Jesus is your king. God is your father. And so he sets up this framework. So chapter five walks through specifically, hey, it's not just the action when you're sinning. It's also the heart. And so you guys are you're looking on the action and saying, you know, I'm not murdering them. You're saying, but in your heart, you have anger and you're committing murder. So the heart matters and the action matters. Now he's going to shift in chapter six, same concept. You think practicing righteousness, right relationship, 6-1, is just about the action. He says, no, 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 it's not about the action. It's the action and the intention. And so what you're going to see is in his kingdom, the heart matters. Why you do what you do matters. And so what are the motivating factors behind your decisions? The reason you practice right relationship with God, righteousness. And so what we want to do is just make sure that our hearts align with what Christ clearly tells us. And so we're going to walk through this, this you know, 18 verses here. And, and it might be, some of it might be hard. And so my encouragement would be go back and read it. Read it again. Make sure you're reading before you come. Um, otherwise, I'm going to say something off a verse, and you're like, I've never heard that, and it's going to be like hard, and you're trying to think, but you're also trying to um, hear what's going on. It could be hard, so just make sure you're reading before you come, reading before you come. So when something gets said, you're like, oh, I remember where that's at. So we're going to continue in Matthew, and just hopefully walk away. Man, what does it mean to have the right heart uh, for the Lord and his kingdom? So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you uh, that we get to open up Matthew and just walk through this. We pray that your words would teach us, that they would um, unite us, that they would help us love you more, they would help us uh, just have a desire to be more like Christ, to live uh, as citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth, to live as your children, uh, for that to be our identity of what we do because of who you are. 
And so we just pray your words would speak and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so it starts right off the bat. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. So right away, this is the idea um, that you're to be righteous, which means right relationship. And it's saying we're going to do things that put us in right relationship with God. In this instance, it's going to mention giving, prayer, and fasting. And it's going to say when you're practicing that, those right relationship kind of things, you're to do it in a certain way. And the first one he starts off with is, is giving. And so when we think about this, it's important. Uh, if we don't understand the root of all things, giving will get very confusing or it will get mixed up. Because what he's trying to get at is, think through this whole passage, audience of one, audience of one. Everything I do is because of who God is, what God's done. And it has nothing to do if anyone sees it, acknowledges it, or cares about it. So he starts off with giving. Well, giving has to start with, when you look at all that you have, do you see it as some of it is what God has done and some of it is what you have done? Or is everything you have because of God? Because when we start to get into, uh, this is what God has done and this is what I have done, that assessment, then it's like, God, you can do whatever you want with what you've done, but this is mine. I do what I want with that. Or we begin to say, well, this is mine. I'll give you part of mine, God, if you'll do this for me. It becomes this kind of exchange, this genie, this market swap, this bargaining chip. And that all plays into how you view what you have. And so this won't make any sense if you don't realize the fact that you're breathing is by God's allowance. The fact that you were able to walk and, and get here was the allowance and mercy and grace of God. Everything you have is his. Therefore, giving is just a matter of giving what is his to someone else, to someone in need. And that's why no one else needs to know. Because it's just between you and the Lord, because all that you have is his. And so the first question is, do I really believe everything I have is his? He can ask for anything that I have. The next part of that is this. If everything I have is his, then there's no circumstance to which I can say no to God because it's his. It's not, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give that if, fill in your blank, if it's your health, if it's your spouse, if it's your finances, if it's your job, whatever it is, I will do it because of who you are. So when you start thinking through that, that means I will give this even if no one ever finds out, if no one ever knows um, sometimes you might think, you know, the pastors are acting kind of weird, right? And it's not because we know how much you give, because we don't, okay? We have no clue what you give. That's a group of volunteers. And so if you think we're being mean to you, it's not because we think you're not giving. We have no clue. Why is that? Because we believe that's between you and the Lord. That, that's a decision between you. We don't pass the plate to see. There's offering boxes in the back. If you do, great. But it's literally saying, God, this is yours. How do you want to use my assets? And in the New Testament, you see that people would give Acts 2. They'd lay it at the apostles' feet. And it says that they would take and they would distribute to people in need through the giving of the people in the church. And then you see later on that they would, um, churches would give money to other churches and that they would help those churches who were in need, who were struggling. And so sometimes um, you get to see that unfold. That's why I love our missionaries that, some, you know, we'll give them $10 and they will show us the brick that they purchased with that $10. And you're like, wow, it built a house, it built a school, it built a church. 
And so that's between us and the Lord. And sometimes you get to see what that does, and other times it doesn't. You don't get to see, um, but it doesn't matter because it's the Lord's. And so giving is really the cause and effect of what has Christ done for me? Therefore, all I have is his, and I will give it even if no one ever, ever sees it. So that's kind of your question, is why do I give? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this so people will pat me on the back and they'll know that I'm a generous person? Or I would do this even if no one ever found out in all of my life. So it's essentially running through this Is he my king? This is what everything I have is the king's. And I will do whatever the king asks me to do. And it doesn't matter if anyone sees. It just matters that he sees. Now, this next part, uh, we got to think through this, okay? So he says in in verse 1, he makes it clear. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So there is uh, an idea that we get rewarded through righteousness, being in right relationship. Now, this passage doesn't say what the reward is. However, it is very clear in the Bible that we don't give to get. We don't give money so that God will somehow bless our health, bless our wealth. That is antithetical to the gospel. It says he will reward you. Uh, As you look through the scripture, I would hope you think of it like this. Imagine saying to your spouse, you owe me because I haven't cheated on you. How many of you would think, that, that makes sense? No, the, the benefit of not cheating is you get to stay married. True? The benefit, all the ladies are like, yes, write that down, husband. Right? No, the benefit is the relationship. The reward is the relationship. Christ is the benefit. Christ is the blessing. You have him. Underneath that, you're doing what the king has asked. Underneath that, you're doing what the father has asked. And then that kind of maybe even lower level, sometimes you get to see the work the Lord did through the giving. And that's a blessing, that you get to see what God does. Now, probably the greatest blessing is that you're showing through giving, everything is his. You really love him. He he can take anything you have. So when you think through Uh, not just your generosity, but really anything, is what's the motivating factor behind that? And what Jesus is going to say, a citizen of heaven, the motivating factor is the relationship. That God sees it, and you care what he thinks, you care what he wants, you care what he's asking of you. So it's very important we think through that. Audience of one, if no one ever knew, would I do it simply because that's what Christ asks of me? And so you're going to see this is very relationally driven. As we transition from, you know, giving into prayer, I want you to see there's two key relational words. There's the kingdom has a king and father. Father and king. The king owes everything. The father provides everything. And so those two motivating factors, is it because of who he is? Okay, so now he moves into verse five. And he tells them, hey, when you pray, Here's how you have to pray. In second part of verse five, it says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So saying when you pray, the goal isn't for people to think you're spiritual. You can be like, wow, they're really smart. 
They're really holy. They know big words. They put together long sentences that make paragraphs, right? Like that's not the goal of your prayer. The goal of prayer is that you have a relationship with God and you're talking to your Father. That's why later down in verse 9, he says, pray like this. What so he says in verse 6, and your Father sees. And so prayer is a very relational part of practicing the right relationship with him. So a few things to get right in your mind as we think through prayer is why do you pray? And this is going to be offensive to some of you, and that's okay because I'm going to encourage you to get mad at the text. Get mad at the text. Is that prayer is not about changing God's mind. Prayer is not about moving the hand of God because you can't. That is not the purpose of prayer. And some, some people get offended and they say, well, then why do we pray? Why do I pray if I can't change God's mind? If I can't affect his decision? What's the point? The point is you have a relationship with him and you communicate to him. And you're like, pastor, you're making that up. I'm not. Look at verse eight. It says, do not be like them for the father knows what you need before you ask. Isn't that what the text says? I'm not trying to trick you. It says he knows what you need before you ask. And then what does it say in verse 9? Now you need to ask. But it just said he already knows. Yeah, but you still need to ask. That tension is hard for people. I get that. God says you're my child. And you're to come to me. And you're to come to me like this. Even though I already know what you need. Now, my secondary point to that is you do not want a God who is waiting for you to convince him of what he should do. You do not want a God who's like, I never thought of that until you said that. That makes complete sense. I'm so glad you told me that in your prayer. Like, that changes everything. I had it so wrong. I wish I could get that page of the Bible back. You see, that, that's problematic, isn't it? Yeah, you, just, you have to think through some of these things. It sounds pleasant. It sounds nice. But it's really not. It's not God. It's not God at all. And it creates quite the dilemma. Imagine some of you right now, like you want to leave California. I get it. But let's say that the wife wants to leave and the husband wants to stay. Is God up there going, well, she prayed seven times. If he gets to eight, think I'll go with him. Ooh, she makes a fair point. Oh, that's a better point. And he's up there deliberating who's praying better and who's giving God more options that he prefers. That sounds more like a human judge trying to make a decision based on what he likes better. That's not a God you want, is it? I would hope not. And so he's saying, you can't move the hand of God, and he gives two ways that you can't move the hand of God. Empty phrases. You can't just heap up big words and big sentences, and God's like, wow, you know four-syllable words. I'm going to do what you want because you read the dictionary. Saying empty phrases don't mean anything to God. Why? Because they're empty and they lack the heart. And a side note, you want to think through people who have maybe a, a prayer language and they don't know what they're praying. If you don't know what you're praying, how are you not praying empty phrases? It's a different sermon, but something for you to think about. The next one is don't use many words. So just because you use two-syllable words but you say them 99 times doesn't mean God's waiting for you to get to 100 and he goes... And now you've triggered my hand. It's saying you don't pray like this. It's not how you pray. Prayer is not about changing God's mind, moving God's hand. It is about changing our heart. 
and aligning our will with his will. It's about relationally being right with him. This is why he frames 6-1, practicing right relationship. Practicing right relationships, doing the right thing for the right reason. You give because of who he is, and now you pray because of who he is. And he says, this is now how you pray. Okay, verse nine, our father starts off with a dad. Hey, dad, dad, is it come, come to your father? Remember, king, father, relationship. That's how he's driving this text. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or hallowed be your name. However you want to say that. Essentially, we start with, you're great. You're holy. You're amazing. You're the provider of all things. It frames who God is. Well, why is that important? Because we often use God's name in vain. As if he's the author of our anger. I want you to think about this. Would you like your name to be the word associated every time someone's mad? No, you wouldn't. Be like, That's kind of mean, isn't it? Well, same with God. It frames your mind in a way as if his name is just to be thrown around every time you get angry. She says, no, it's to be hallowed. It's to identify on the nature and character of God. Names identified character. That's why names were so important in the Old Testament. Hallowed, holy, perfect. You're talking to a perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful God who's also your father. Frames the relationship properly. Okay. Then he moves down. Now, your kingdom come. There is a kingdom. What Jesus demands is to be done. It's his kingdom. So that means on earth, it's a different kingdom. And it's going to have different priorities. And it's going to have different emphasis, different values, different morals. Don't want those morals and those values. His kingdom your will be done. Saying, God, there's going to be parts of me that wants and has desires, and I'd rather have your desires, not my desires. Even if it's hard for me, painful for me, this is what I try to tell you. It's about shaping our heart, not shaping his mind, not changing or convincing him. Prayer is about our heart coming in alignment with the holy, perfect God who's given us a king in Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever he says in heaven is done, saying my desire is that whatever you say would be done on earth in the same exact way. So he's, again, very relational. God, your will, not mine. Now he comes down to 11. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying it's, God understands. You need to eat. There are needs that you have, and it's okay to come to him and say, God, please provide Again, now, this gets into when you're blessing for your meal, you don't bless the food. You don't want holy food. You bless the Father who provided the food. We see the difference? That was a side note. Anyway, so think through this. He's saying, hey, God knows you need to eat. And what's the point if he already knows why are you to ask? Because it keeps us dependent. What does God do in the Old Testament with Israel? They pray and he provide, provides. He provides for each day. They never had enough for the next day so that they couldn't not pray that day. So praying each day is that dependency. Father, please provide. The Father provides. You thank the Father for the provision. It's relational. 
Over and over and over again. It's relational, relational, relational. 12, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's saying we've sinned against God. Why is this so important? If we don't consistently go to the Father and acknowledge that we have sinned against him, created a debt in our sin, we will not forgive other people because we somehow think we don't need to be forgiven, that we've been perfect, that we're owed. It's saying as a citizen of heaven, as a child of God, you have to acknowledge that your debts have been paid through Christ. And then that drives, now how can I forgive other people? Because without Christ's forgiveness, I would be in hell. The relationship with the Father now drives the relationship with people. Coming back to how has the Father dealt with you? Patiently, kind, kindly, right? Mercy, he's dealt with you in all these ways. Now I'm to do that with people. That's why it's beautiful. It's saying there's a debt We couldn't pay that debt. There's nothing we could offer, nothing we could do that would ever cause God to forgive us. But Christ pays our debts. As he paid our debts, we now forgive other people. So walking through that debt language is so important. Again, this is relational. It's a reminder. And it says do this, right? Daily, right? Doing this daily. 13, Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Saying, God, I'm going to want to love things that aren't you. I'm going to want to trust people and material and praise and wealth. Help me not fall into that. Chapter 5, walk through this. If something's tempting you, cut it off. Burn it up. Get it away so that your relationship with God is, is pure and that you love him and love him only And the first commandment, you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. So things that compete and take away your love and affection towards God the Father. He says, cut it off, get rid of it. This is part of the prayer. Help me not be tempted. And then help me not be led into evil, which is when the world says, this will satisfy you. Satan, the prince of the world, he's telling you need this. Satan going to Jesus, give up what God has asked. I will give you the world. It's evil. Following the devil, it's evil. Saying, help me not follow what the world would have me do. Help me follow what Christ would have me do. So over and over again, you're having this prayer. Now, it's saying that we're to do this in secret and we're to do this privately. Why? Because it's a relationship between us and God. Now, there's, I want you to just kind of think through this. It goes back to the intent of the heart. Does this mean that you shouldn't, post you doing a service project on Facebook? I'm not going to answer that for you. But we can look at the text and ask two questions. Am I showing that post because I want everyone to say, look at me, I care about poor people, and I'm great, and I'm awesome. Or are you saying, hey, look, here's an opportunity for you to serve. This is a great place to serve. You're helping people. You're sharing the gospel. I want you to see this. I want you to see the work of what God is doing the intent of the heart. When you pray, is it so you can tell everyone, oh, I prayed and I prayed and I did this and I did that? Or is it, no, if someone asked, I'll tell them. Think through it like this. You don't walk up to somebody and be like, hey, I ate lunch today. You're like, do you normally not eat lunch? Like, why are you telling me this? Yeah, that's you offering advertising. That's different when someone says, hey, um, did you eat lunch today? You're like, well, yeah, actually I did. This is what I did. 
So someone says, hey, what did you do on Saturday? You don't have to, oh, I can't tell them I served. I can't tell them I gave. I can't tell them I prayed. You tell them. Oh, actually, I did this, and this is what I did. And like, oh, that's great. It's the difference between advertising who you are and being who you are. See, the Pharisees were advertising. I'm amazing. I'm great. Look at me. Look at me. That's different than I am a Christian. This is what I do. I give. I pray. I care. I'm obedient. It's who I am. It's my natural response to the work of Christ. You see, and it's in this prayer now, God is changing our heart. He's shaping our motives. We're being reminded of the work of Christ, the forgiveness of our debts. And it is in that constant relationship we become the citizens and the children that we need to be that God's called us to be. A good quote here by Montgomery Boyce. He says, we must have a profound change of heart expressing itself among other ways and a willingness to forgive others if we have experienced God's forgiveness ourselves. What is he getting at? That change of heart comes in us because of focusing on what God has done for us through Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so then the motivation of why we forgive, of why we give, of why we pray is because we're so in love with who God is and we're responding to that love. So it's right action, right intent, makes right relationship. That's essentially how Jesus is trying to teach them. Look, you thought sin was just in the action. No, it's in the heart. You thought religious acts are just in the act and not the heart. No, no, no. They're in the heart and they're in the action. He's saying, this isn't how you are to operate in my kingdom. I am your king. God is your father. Okay? So you keep working through that. And what you realize is that God will judge our sin based on our heart, and he will also judge our worship on our heart. Saying if we don't have the right heart, he'll reject the gift. We don't have the right action with the right motive, he'll reject it. The Old Testament speaks to this. Look at Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24. It says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Saying, God, I don't need your words. I don't need your gifts. What he requires is a heart that truly loves him. Is a heart that is thankful for the forgiveness of sins and the relationship he provides in the place he provides it and the way he provides it. Saying, I'm so grateful that I have Jesus. So when you sing in that way, he's saying, yes, that's worship. I'll accept that. Micah 6, 6 through 8, same thing. It says, what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Verse 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, love kindness. Here's where people miss out. Walk humbly with God. He requires a relationship. And in that relationship, there will be things we do because 
We love him. This is the transition in Matthew that gets Jesus killed. This is a part of it. It's not just that he's saying he is the son of God. He's saying all your righteous acts are filth and they're wrong and they're evil because none of it is centered on who God is and what God has done. It's all focused on how you are and how great you should be and how everyone should think you're amazing. It transitions to this is a relationship and this is how you act within the relationship. Yeah? And he moves down further. Fasting now, right? He says, and when you fast, don't look like the hypocrites. See, hypocrites were essentially actors. They would wear a mask and pretend to be somebody. So what is he saying? Don't pretend, don't act like you're doing this great service because you love the Lord when really you're just trying to get people to go, wow, you're so spiritual. He's saying, don't walk around looking half dead so that people go, you're so amazing. He's saying, if you want to take some time and not eat, so that it'll cause you to pray more, focus on God more, great. Keep it to yourself. If someone asks you, why aren't you eating? Be honest, because I'm fasting. Why are you fasting? So that I'll pray more. I'll think about Christ more. I'll think about God more. I'm using my physical pain or, you know, uncomfortable situation to cause me to pray more, to cause me to think about Jesus more to cause me to think about what I have in Christ. So it's always getting back to what's the motivating factor of what you do. Why do you do it? And if it's not because of your love and affection for Christ, he's saying it's wrong and it needs to change. Well, how do you change it? That's where prayer comes in. You say, God, I don't trust you in this way. Help me trust you. God, I don't know if I can make it through this. Help me. God, I, I want all things to be yours. Strip me of everything. Help me trust you. And through the constant prayer, you see God changing and morphing our heart to fit whatever he would give. This is why it's, it's fascinating. You walk with someone who's going through uh, an illness or a near-death type situation is they'll say, God, I'm not ready to go. You know, save me, save me, save me. I don't want to die. And then at the end of those months, you'll see someone and all of a sudden they're saying, that same person, you know what, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. If it's time to be with you, I trust you. And you see a peace that was there. You see a trust that wasn't there. And it's through prayer that God's preparing them, changing them so that they're ready in that moment. It's very much like reading the book of Job. Everything is taken away from Job. And his response is he falls on his knees and he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be his name. He responds in worship when he gives and when he takes. There's no expectation of because I did A, you owe me B. It's like, no, you take it all. I'm glad I have you because he's the benefit. He's the relationship. He's the blessing. And sometimes you pray and God says, no, you're going to have this cancer. You're going to lose that job. You're going to, you know, whatever it is. And he said, and you're supposed to, God, thank you. Your will be done. I trust you. You're my father. I'm going to love you regardless because of who you are and what you've done. See, prayer becomes the instrument in which God shapes and changes our heart. J.C. Ryle has a good quote. He says, I repeat distinctly 
that backsliding generally first begins with neglect of private prayer. Bibles read without prayer. Sermons heard without prayer. Marriages contracted without prayer. Journeys undertaken without prayer. Residence chosen without prayer. Friendships formed without prayer. The daily act of private prayer itself hurried over or gone through without heart. These are the kind of downward steps by which many a Christian descends to a condition of spiritual palsy or reaches the point where God allows him to have tremendous fall. Oftentimes I'll hear people say maybe, I feel distant from God. I feel like God doesn't care. I feel like I'm in a rut. I feel like I'm, you know, all these kind of um, negative places or numbing places or paralyzed places. And what he is saying that you can always take that back to, are you going before the Lord in all things, in your marriage, in your parenting, as an employee, as a boss, as a citizen, as a friend, as a church member, as a fill in the blank. Are you going to God in prayer in all of those things? In all of those things, not to change his mind, but to align your heart with his. He's saying the citizen of heaven always goes to the father and says, Father, what do you want me to do? Jesus models this all through the gospel. Obedient even unto death. He's even in the garden asking the Father, take this cup, take this cup, but not my will, your will be done. So you look through this, hopefully what you see is there's no formula to this. There's no formula. We don't force God's hand. It's about a relationship with God shows us what we should do and we trust him when he says yes and we trust him when he says no. We praise him when he says no. We praise him when he says yes because we are his child. Jesus is our king and it is our joy and privilege to be a part of it. It's how he's rewriting everything they've heard and thought. And so as Christians, the question for us is what are my motivating factors? Do I have the right action with the right heart? Because that'll lead to the right relationship. Some questions for us to think through. How is it possible to do the right action for the wrong reason? That's what it's saying. It's saying it's not just about writing the check, saying the prayer. It's about writing it or praying it because you love God. You trust the Father. And you want to do what the Father asks you to do. Two, why does the intent of the heart matter to God? Because God doesn't need sacrifice. He doesn't need actions. He doesn't need words. He requires a relationship. He requires that we love him more than we love anything else in all the world. And it is the intent of the heart that measures if that love is there or if it is absent and it's really love of self, love of people? Or is it truly that we love the Father? Three, is there an area of your life that you do for show or praise? Is there a party? I do this so that people think I'm amazing. I show up that people praise me and think I'm holy and think I'm awesome. And that fuels me to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. If that's an, have an area of your life, you need to stop. And you need to ask yourself, would I do this as unto the Lord? Meaning only he knows. 
And can I do this so that only he knows? And if other people see, great. If they don't, great. Because it's about me loving the Lord. It's important for us to understand, you know, why am I a nice person? Why am I a giving person? Why am I an encouraging person? Why did I show up to church? Why am I singing this song? All drives back to, I love the Father because of the Son. Four, what do we learn about prayer from the Lord's Prayer? It's very structured. It's not a formula. It's not a science. But it says, this is how you should pray. So there's things that are focusing on who God is, focusing on his will, bringing your requests for him, and then trusting his decision. You can go to God with everything and pray and pray, and that's great. But is the expectation that he should do what you want or is the expectation that you will do what he wants? That's why you talk it out with him. Talk it out with him respectfully. Hallowed be your name. Open hands, your will be done. Gratefulness, you forgave my trespass. You forgave my debts. Motivating factors. And then five, how do you know if you're praying, giving, or serving incorrectly? Well, one way probably to know is that if no one knew, would you keep doing it? And if you never, if you ended up getting cancer, would you still do it? If you were to lose a loved one, would you still do it? Is there any circumstance that could cause you not to do it because your love of God is tied to circumstances? Or is your love of God tied to what he's done for you and how he's loved you? So the book of Matthew is shaping, this is what it means to be in the kingdom. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And have everything you do be because of who he is and what he's done. That's a God worthy of praise. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for for Matthew 6, just walking through this. How the motivating factor, all that we do, is to be because of who you are and what you've done. And we confess sometimes we don't trust you, that we wish you would bend to our will and that we wouldn't have to bend to your will. And we just ask that you would help us see you are to be hallowed. You know everything. You're all powerful. We can trust you. Your son died for our sins, paid for our sins. We can trust you. And that we'd come to you in prayer, trusting your decisions, trusting your will. So we just pray now that we would focus on you and love you. And our desire would be to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go into a, a time of communion. And uh, just important, um, there's been a shortage on the communion cups. So not all of them are gluten-free. So if you're expecting gluten-free, it'll say it. And if you don't have that, you need to get one that does. Two, some of these are new, so they get sticky. So if you just rip it off, it's going to go flying, and then you're going to have more to repent of in communion, okay? So you need to be careful. Wafer first, top, then the juice, okay? Just first, just so you know. Secondly, if you're not a Christian, this isn't going to make any sense to you, okay? Uh, if you're not a Christian, uh, communion's for the believer, to remember what Christ did on the cross for them, that he paid for their sin. So if you're not a Christian, don't partake, but maybe pray. Ask God to show you your sin. Ask God to show you the work of Christ. If you're a Christian, uh, when I get done praying, you're going to take this in your, in your own time. But maybe today, think through the Lord's Prayer. When's the last time you just spent some time acknowledging his greatness, his perfection, 
See, by doing this, it centers the rest of the prayer. You're not talking to your buddy. You're not talking to your neighbor. You're talking to a holy, perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And he should be treated as such, but he's also a father. He wants you to tell him, what are your desires? What's going on? And then he wants you also to, to say, but, but God, whatever you would want, whatever you would desire. And then work your way down to say, God, these are the sins I've committed. And yes, God already knows them, but this is a part of us being transformed and changed, knowing this is how I've sinned against you. And it's created a debt. And Christ paid that debt. I am so grateful. And God, help me not hold debt against others. Help me forgive others the way you've treated me. Help me be patient and kind the way you've been patient and kind with me. Help me do that. Help me love you. And you walk through communion at the end of it, you celebrate the work of Christ. You have a heavenly father that knows you, loves you, and is preparing a place for you to be with him forever and ever and ever. It's the deep celebration. So after such time, John will... Uh, lead us in a song of celebration, just celebrating the work of Christ, celebrating the heavenly father, celebrating that we're his children and we don't deserve it. The fact that we're breathing is grace. The fact that we're breathing is mercy and we're grateful. And so that's your opportunity during communion to commune with God because of Christ. And so we invite you to do that. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you uh, that you love us. We thank you uh, that you know us completely and perfectly. Um, it's our prayer that we would not desire the benefits without the relationship, that we would desire the relationship with you. And through that relationship, see the benefit of the relationship. So show us our sin, show us we're forgiven, show us how we can love you more. It's our prayer you'd be with us as we confess sin and praise you. And at the end, we would celebrate you through song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.